So I'm really excited to share this message. I shared it last night, and oh my gosh, Holy Spirit was so... I, I love it when God ordains the whole thing. He always does. He always anoints the word. But sometimes it seems like there's a little extra frosting on it. And this is one of those messages. And Kathy already kind of got us warmed up because we're going to talk about intimacy tonight. We're going to talk about knowing God. The title of this message is, To Know God is to Believe God. And when I say no, it's not a head knowing. It's way more than a head knowing. It's that intimate knowing and that relationship with God that goes hand in hand with believing. The first line on your paper under the title says that faith is a direct result of knowing God better. They go hand, you could put an equal sign in the middle. Faith equal, I'm sorry, yes, faith equals Knowing God better, actually should be the other way around. Knowing God better equals faith. So we know, we talk about this all the time, that our Lord Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice to purchase our redemption, to purchase that gift of grace, and it's done. The work is finished, it's completed. And our part is believing that finished work. Well, our faith is fed through knowing him and through growing in our knowing of him. There's another statement about halfway down on your page. God just kind of rearranged things about 10 minutes before you came. But the second statement I want to make is that it's hard to disbelieve God if you know him. That's a different perspective. We're always talking about believing and faith and believing and faith, and our part is believing and God's part is done. But it's hard to disbelieve him when you know him. So my favorite example of this is my marriage with my husband for the past 40 years. Because guess what? Over 40 years, I've gotten to know him really, really well. Now, I loved him, of course, before I married him. But something has grown so much deeper all of you girls, all of you gentlemen who've been married many years, know that your life just grows so much closer, so much deeper over the years to the point where I trust him and I know his faithfulness so much that I, there's, there's no way that I doubt my husband or question him or, or don't trust him because he's proven himself to me through his character, through his actions, through the life that we've lived together. And it's not just trusting him with fidelity. That's this much. I have a husband who is always, always there for me. When I need him, he's there. When I'm feeling weak, he's my strength. When I uh, need comfort, he comforts me. He, he knows me, and, he, and, he, and he's there for me. And that's because we've been together all of these years, and I know him so well. And because of that also, if you told me something negative about my husband, I would disbelieve you. It would take a whole lot of evidence to get me to believe anything that isn't good about my husband. Because I know him so well. And that's what it should be like with God. 
when we spend a lifetime whether it's, whether it's just beginning your walk with God or whether it's 50 years that you've known God, as we grow in our knowing, we grow in our believing. And disbelieving gets harder and harder and harder. So my prayer for you is that it is so hard for you to disbelieve God <laughs> that faith is just running rampant in your life because there's no way you can disbelieve him because you know him so well. So we're going to go to a scripture right now, 2 Peter 1, verse 2 through 3. Just listen to this. And look at all of the times in this scripture that talks about coming to know God. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus the Lord. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Isn't that beautiful? So my message, there it is. Faith comes by knowing God. It says that God gives us, he pours on the grace. We know the grace is already purchased, right? It's, it's already done. But it says that he can give us, he can... Um, transfer that grace into us, into our lives more and more as, and peace too as we grow in our knowledge. And then it says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. Everything. And that everything, guys, includes healing. That everything includes forgiveness. That everything includes us being completely reconciled unto God and free to come to the throne of grace all the time, every day, all day, every day. We have that gift, everything we need. And that everything we need, we've received by coming to know him. So this whole intimacy thing, this whole growing, because it's a process, you know, where, where we started in our knowing of God, just like my marriage, has gotten more and more and more and more and more. Our whole relationship, our whole life as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus. Now, the, the flip side of that, if, if growing in knowing equals faith, the flip side of it is if we have misperceptions or if our knowing is purely, um, uh, you know, your brain, it's not uh, intimacy, it's more of a study, then that could equate not having faith or not receiving in the same way. So I want to make sure that for me, this is, this is a, I'm just preaching to me today, and you guys just get the benefit, but my heart is to not be in that place of disbelief or a difficulty believing. I want, the only thing I want disbelief in is the problem. I want there to be no way that you could get me to not believe God. I want to be so strong in my, in my knowledge of him, and that's what I want for you too. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. So 
as we perceive, we're going to talk about that word a lot. It's not just a head knowing. As we perceive, as we experience, as we encounter God through his word, through um, visions, through dreams, through um, a rhema that just comes into your heart, as we encounter him, our faith grows, but the opposite is also true. If you have that wrong perception, you'll expect the wrong things because knowing equals faith. So are you believing in what God says or are you believing in what's not true? So wrong perception like God is punishing me or wrong perception like God is judging me for sin. That's wrong because Jesus took the judgment the judgment is finished. And if you believe that the disease or the sickness or the problem is a result of sin or something you did or you didn't do, that's misperception. Perhaps it's something like um, this disease is, is teaching me a lesson. God allowed this to teach me something. Lie, lie, lie. That's a misperception. But if we've received those things into our heart, we have faith in that. We have faith in the negative. And we might receive the negative instead of what God has for us. There's another warning, and that is doing isn't knowing. In this Christian walk that we walk in, we get good at doing the Christian stuff. Going to church, praising and worshiping, reading the Bible, etc. Getting up and spending an hour a day with God, whatever it is. Now, all of those things lead to relationship. But if you're doing that in a legalistic way, checking it off your list, saying, I have to get up and spend an hour with God. Oh boy, it's early. Okay, I'm going to sit and look at my watch. I'm going to read two chapters in my Bible and, you know, etc. That doesn't equate knowing. Doing isn't knowing. We're human beings. We're not human doings. Our, our walk with God is a state of our being. It's not a state of our doing. I want to read this to you. One of the biggest problems in the body of Christ is that we learn the mechanics of how Christianity works. We learn all these things to do, and many times we try to put them into practice without really knowing God, without having the intimacy. The mechanics of Christianity don't enable us to receive God's benefits. The fruit, the benefits, come out of really knowing God. We're going to continue to talk a little bit today about the condition of our heart. We've been talking about that over the last several weeks and that we've, we've made the, the, the amazing statement that the promises of the word, there's power, there's power in the promises. And the seed is, has the same power in everyone. The seed has the power. But that seed doesn't produce fruit unless it's planted in our hearts, in the soil of our hearts. So that's what we're talking about today. What is the soil of our heart? In that knowing of God, we're talking about the intimate knowing of God, not doing, but knowing. Now, doing comes along with knowing, 
because you love him, just like my husband. I love my husband. I want to do things with him. I want to spend time with him. I want to talk to him. I want him to share his heart with me. I want to share my heart with him, and I want him to listen. <laughs> yeah, I have to throw that in there every now and then. Honey, are you listening? He's heard me say that a few times. <clears throat> That's okay. You know, we're not perfect. <laughs> Long ways from it. So... I want to share with you right now this beautiful promise. And this, has a, this is another beautiful scripture about knowing God. It's from Psalm 91. It's the last three verses in the psalm. Now, this psalm is written, oh, I love it. The psalmist is writing about, I, I read this today. Oh, thank you, God. It's about um, being in that secret place. It's being in that place where you're communing with God, fellowshipping with God, just hanging out with him. It's not a to-do thing. It's enjoying being with him, enjoying his love for me, my love for him, what he's talking to me about, what I'm talking to him about. And the psalmist says, when you're in that place, all sorts of promises and protection come. And then the psalm starts listing all of these amazing promises and protections that we receive from being in that secret place with God. Well, these are the last three verses. So I'm going to read it right from the Bible. This is from the Amplified. And know that this is directed to the person who is in the secret place, who has the intimate um, relationship with God. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he knows and understands my name has a personal knowledge of my mercy, love, and kindness, trusts and relies on me, knowing I will never forsake him. No, never. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Notice all the things I underlined in there. It's all about knowing God or knowing pieces of his character. God gave this word to me as a rhema in a season when I was um, having a counterattack of the enemy. So I was fighting for my healing, again, to hold on to my healing. And God gave this to me. And he said, Cindy, this is you. And then you'll see on your paper, what I wanted to do is to give it to you like he gave it to me. So he was speaking this to me, and I made it into a declaration. And, um, and then you'll see numbers. All of those numbers are the promises that he told me, that he has for me, because of the way that I know him and the way that I'm known by him. So this is the way I speak it. I'm going to put my own name in here, and you might want to write your name in it as well. He said to me, Cindy, because you set your love upon me, because you know and understand my name, because you have a personal knowledge of my mercy, my love, and my kindness, because you trust and rely on me, and you know I'll never forsake you, no, never. Therefore, baby girl, I will deliver you. That's the first promise. It comes with knowing him. He said, Cindy, I'll deliver you. That will not settle in your body 
doesn't matter what the doctors for say or are looking for, I'm going to deliver you. He said, I will set you on high, above, not beneath, above. He said, you shall call upon me and I will answer you. He said, I'll be with you in time of trouble and I will rescue you. He's our redeemer. He's our rescuer. And it's not just that he has past tense redeemed us. He's redeeming us every day of our life. And if you have a need to be rescued or redeemed this day, that promise is for you too. It's for me today too. This one just blows me away. He says he will honor me. I'm, I want to honor him. And he says that he honors me. And then number six, this is a good one. With long life will I satisfy you. I believe long life is the whole lifespan that he's planned for me and for you too. And it's 120 years. That's a long, that's a pretty long life. Put your marker out there. A long life. In number seven, and I will show you my salvation. And that word in the, in the Hebrew is Yeshua. Isn't that cool? He will show us his salvation. Jesus' name, Yeshua, is the Hebrew name for Jesus. Yeshua, his name literally means salvation, deliverance, and victory. And God says, I will show you my salvation, my deliverance, and my victory. That was an amazing word for God to plunk right into my heart and say, this is for you, Cindy. And that's what he's speaking to you today. So this is a beautiful word to take home and meditate on. Maybe it's not yet in your heart. Meditate on it. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if you take this word of God, that's what I did, started meditating on it and realizing that was God speaking to me and it's also God speaking to you. It builds you up during that, that, that believing time, that faith time. Remember, knowing God is believing God. <clears throat> okay. So there are... Two more words in the Bible that I'm going to talk about today. One's a Hebrew, one's a Greek, but they both mean the same thing. The Hebrew version is the word yada, Y-A-D-A. This is all in your notes. And the Greek word is gnosko, G-I-N-O-S-K-O. And they're both translated no, K-N-O-W. But boy, does it mean a lot more than just knowing it here. Let me define the word. I'm kind of skipping around in my notes a little bit tonight. So the word yada means to know, to recognize, and to acknowledge. Now we're talking about knowing God. To know him, to recognize him, and to acknowledge him. It means, the word yada means to perceive. To perceive means to know in a way that it affects you and it changes the way you walk, the way that you live. To perceive, we perceive him. Understand, to distinguish, to acquire knowledge. The word yada means to be familiar with. Isn't that amazing that we can be familiar with God, the God of creation, the God of the universe, the God of healing, the God of peace, the God of love, 
the God of forgiveness. So yada means to be familiar with, to be aware of in the closest sense. That's what we were experiencing. That's what Kathy was leading us into as we looked at that beautiful picture of Jesus into his eyes and said, God, I know that Jesus already paid for my healing and I'm just going to reach out and take that thing. That is being aware of him in the closest sense. And the deepest meaning of this word know is an intimacy so very deep that it's the same word the Bible uses for a man and a woman knowing each other and conceiving a child. That depth of intimacy. That's what the word yada and gnosko mean. So now I'm going to read you two scriptures, one from the Old Testament, one from the New, that have those words in them. Here's the first scripture. It's Proverbs 3, 6. Very familiar scripture. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. So the word acknowledge is the word yada. When we know what the word yada is, all of a sudden the scripture opens up in a huge way. The Bible says in this word, it says, in all your ways, in every facet of your life, invite me in. Let me be a part of it. Know me intimately in that, in that facet of your life. Whether it's, for me, the first thing that I let God in, in me, was the need, my need for healing. Because that was first priority. When I came to know him, I was already diagnosed with stage four cancer. So my first part of knowing God was him as my healer. And I came to know him during that season. But since then... The Bible says, in all your ways. So in my marriage, God's the centerpiece. He didn't used to be, but he is now. As a mother, God is my, my example. He's the one that I go to to get advice. How do I mother? What do I do now? You know, in every facet. In this ministry, oh my gosh. Absolutely, you guys know. He's number one. He and I, you know, like this whole thing has kind of changed since last night because I was sitting in there in church and God was just showing me different things. I want him to be in control, not me. He says when we do that, when we know him, when we give him lordship, when we seek him, when we have intimate communion and communication with him in every facet of our life, then he'll direct our paths. There's an S on paths. That's because there's lots of paths in our life. Sometimes we wish there were a few less. You know, when you're driving on through Chicago and there's one expressway over another, it's like just one straight one would be nice. But that's not what life's like. There's lots of paths. And the word direct means straight and smooth and plain. He makes those paths straight and smooth and plain when we acknowledge him. And that is knowing him. The next scripture I want to read is from the New Testament. This is the, probably the most famous scripture about knowing God, knowing that he is love. This is 1 John chapter 4. And the title in my Bible, my Bible has like subtitles, 
says consummation of love. Isn't that cool? We're talking about this word, no. And I already said that this word, this in the New Testament, it's gnosko. This word literally means such an intimate knowing. It's the same word that's used for a man and a woman that know each other and conceive a child. We all know what that is. It's very beautiful and intimate. And this is entitled the consummation of love between God and me, between God and you. So let me read it. We have come to know by personal observation and experience and have believed with deep, consistent faith the love which God has for us. So friends, that is the title of this message. To know God is to believe. To know God is to have faith. And it says we've come to know him by personal observation and experience. We're going to talk more about that in a second. And because of that, we've believed him with a deep, consistent faith. And this is specifically about having faith that he loves me because he's love. That's what the next sentence says. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides continually in him. The word abides means dwells permanently. Like this is where I hang out. <laughs> That's what I've done for 40 years with my husband. He has told me he's loved me multiple times of a day, every day of our marriage. I abide. I'm very lucky. I'm very blessed. But God has that for every one of us. And he wants us to abide in that kind of a relationship every day of our life. And then verse 17, this is what Kathy was leading us into at the beginning of our session. In this union and fellowship with him, love is completed and perfected with us. And that word perfected means matured. His love is completed and matured with us. It grows deeper and stronger and more firm and more established so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment with assurance and boldness to face him because as he is, so are we in this world. So the bottom line is when we know we're loved and when we know that Jesus loved us to such an extent that he sacrificed himself to take the judgment for us, then we don't have any fear of judgment. And that's what this goes on to say in the next verse. It says, there's no fear in love. Dread does not exist, but perfect, again, that's mature. But mature, complete, full-grown love drives out fear because fear involves the expectation of divine punishment. I don't have expectation of divine punishment because all the divine punishment went upon Jesus. So the one who's afraid of God's judgment doesn't know the love. Amen. They've not been perfected or grown up or matured in love. They've not grown into a sufficient understanding of God's love. And then because we know his love, it overflows. And we love others. So he makes himself known to us and then we make him known to others. Oh. So this consummation of love comes through union and fellowship with him. Comes through hanging out with him without a formula. I think sometimes we can get too much into a routine. 
you know? And then, it, and then it's, it's almost like checking it off your list. I love those days when my time with God is nothing that I expect. Where it's usually him, not me. Where he completely takes me by surprise with what he's showing me or, I don't know, some experiential moment. So these are the things that I put down on the paper. I believe this is on your paper. Consummation of God's love comes through union with him, through experience, through encounter, and that's what leads to the conception of faith. So I don't want to downplay experience and encounter. I know I often say we don't have to feel it. It's true. You don't have to go by feelings. But it's okay to seek those God encounters, to seek those God experiences. I often ask God to give me dreams, give me visions, show me, show me God. You know, and, and I have heard so many stories of people that have come to Jesus because they've asked him to reveal him to themselves, and he does. So I'm just going to put that all out there. I believe that there is uh, the potential in all of us to have union and fellowship with him and communion with him, but also to have experience and encounters. And all of that and more, all of that is the consummation of our faith because knowing is believing. Knowing God leads to faith. So that's the consummation of faith. That's where the seed can grow. We've been talking about the seed, the power of the seed, and, but it has to be in a ground that is going to feed it. That's the environment. That's that environment where that seed can grow powerfully. And then, delivery. That's what comes at the end of a pregnancy, right? You conceive. You're in that place of letting that seed be powerful in you. And then the delivery of the promise. So what I want to do now is I want to take, we're just switching everything up today. We're going to do a worship song right now about loving God. Because we just talked about this consummation of love and getting pregnant with the love of God, with the, the, the precious promise of his love. And then we're going to go into another little teaching point before we, before we go into ministry. So let's stand up right now and worship him. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for your love. Would you go ahead and have a seat? As I was praying and seeking God this week, he reminded me of something that was really fun. He reminded me that I love praying for pregnancies. I love praying for pregnancies. And I just have such a faith <laughs> for people getting pregnant that are trying to get pregnant. And um, I shared last night a testimony. I was given permission to share. There's a family I've been praying for for uh, quite a while um, to become pregnant. And um, she is now 13 weeks pregnant. Yay, God. And the gentleman, the, the husband, was there last night. So I shared his story last night because we've been believing for them for quite a while. I've got several people right now that I'm praying for for pregnancy. But God reminded me what an anointing I have for that. It's almost like it's easy for, you know, it's just easy for me to believe. It doesn't matter what the doctor says about getting pregnant. 
it's like I just see them and they get pregnant. I just look at them and they get pregnant. I, you know, I just, I just really have an anointing for that. It's such a strong faith. And God said, Cindy, you have an anointing for pregnancy. So pray for pregnancy. So today, that's what I'm going to do right now. But not pregnancy with babies because I don't want a baby. I'm a grandma. I don't want no more babies in there. I don't want to be Sarah <laughs> my age. No, thank you. But we're praying for pregnancy of the promise, the pregnancy of faith. That's what I want to pray for, the pregnancy of faith. We're talking about knowing God is believing him. Knowing God is connected to faith. So my prayer, according to 1 John 4, verse 16 through 19, is the consummation of his love and that all of us, no matter if you're a man or a woman, I want to pray for pregnancy of faith, that that is cons consummated in you. So, Father God, we come to you right now, and Father, I thank you for reminding me of how much I love to pray for pregnancy and how I have seen so many miraculous pregnancies come through the, the prayer of faith that I have and the joy that I have in praying for pregnancies. Father, I just say thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, right now. It's not me. It's you through me. It's my expectation and my faith, but it's your power. And I pray right now, Father God, that the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon each person, each man, each woman, hearing this message right now. And just as Mary, the mother of Jesus, had an immaculate conception, I pray right now for each one of us to have an immaculate conception in the womb of our heart, a conception of faith, a conception of knowing you, God, knowing your love, knowing your promise, knowing that you're a good, good father, knowing that you desire us to be blessed, that you want us well. Father, I pray for a conception of faith right now in each one of us. I pray, Father, that it is just so easy, so easy that we have conceived without even work, any work. It's not any work about us. It's all you, God. It's all you, Holy Spirit. And I pray that there is just a beautiful incubation of that pregnancy. And our faith grows and grows and grows and grows. And uh, it is fruitful. Our faith is fruitful. The seed, the promise that we're believing is fruitful. And it produces an amazing harvest. God, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, you're all going home pregnant. <laughs> Yay. Okay, so the next thing that I want to share just a little bit about is another cool benefit of knowing God. This is Philemon 1.6. Philemon, I don't know how to pronounce that book of the Bible. <laughs> how do you say it? Philemon. Okay, like a steak. <laughs> Philemon. Okay, I can remember that. Philemon 1.6 says, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. 
So we're talking about knowing God. But part of this knowing is acknowledging who he is, what his word says, what his promises are, and also what I've seen in my life that he's done for me, what you've seen in your life that he's done for you. And the Bible says that when we share those things, that when we share our faith that has come through experience, that has come through his word being planted in my heart, when we share that things, our faith becomes effective. Now that word effective is the same word that our word energy comes from. It's the Greek word energes, E-N-E-R-G-E-S. And it literally means active, operative, effective. So it's like flipping a switch. It's like plugging in to an electric socket. It's our faith with power behind it. And how does that happen? By acknowledging every good thing. This is something that I think we can all do better. When we're in the middle of a of journey, especially if it's difficult, our focus is often right there on the difficult thing. When God says, this is how to turn the switch on of your faith, by acknowledging every good thing, both from the word, from the character of God and his promises, but also from our own experiences. Now, God taught me something. It was all him. During um, a season of my life, and I'm going to share this piece of my testimony. It's not on your sheet, so you can just focus right here right now. This happened right after I received healing. So I had been um, healed of stage four cancer. It was in the summertime that I received the good report. And right after I received the good report, I started having symptoms in my neck. So when I was healed, um, well, first of all, when I was diagnosed, the melanoma was through my whole lymphatic system. It was in my groin, it was in my abdomen, and it was in my neck. Well, when they did the exploratory surgery, they looked in my abdomen, they took out all the lymph nodes that were enlarged, there was no cancer. They took out the ones in my groin that were positive, there was no cancer. But they didn't do anything in my neck. So right after I had that perfect report, and they said, no need for treatment, then I got symptoms in my neck. And it was intense. And it was screaming at me. It was a lot of pain. It was swelling. I had all these symptoms in my neck. And I immediately went into that place of fear, 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 fear. And my whole focus was on my neck. God gave me two beautiful messages. Two, I'm going to call them warnings and encouragement. Mostly warning. The first one came from my pastor. Kent went to a midweek service without me that week because I had a school function. And he went and he talked to the pastor and told her what was happening. Told her that I was healed, but I was having all these symptoms in my neck and I had all kinds of fear. And my pastor told him, and he told me, Cindy can't do that. She's going to receive that back. That's what the enemy wants her to do. And if she receives it, she'll have it. And she said it very sternly. And it put, it put, um, uh, it, it, it woke me up, put it that way. And he came home and told me that same night, God spoke to me during the night. He often speaks to me. Actually, it's upon awakening. As soon as I woke up in the morning, I heard Deuteronomy 1. I didn't know what any, I didn't give me a, a verse, just Deuteronomy 1. 
I had never read Deuteronomy because I was a brand new Christian and I was only reading in the New Testament. So I opened my Bible that day and I read and I read and I read the first chapter of Deuteronomy. And what I'm going to do now is I'm going to show you, I'm going to teach to you what God taught to me that changed everything. And it has stayed with me in my whole journey. So in this book of Deuteronomy, it's the fifth book of the Bible, and, and in the first chapter, it's basically summarizing the whole Exodus. God knew he didn't, he didn't give me the whole Bible to read. He just gave me one chapter, a summary chapter, cliff notes. So it's, in this chapter, Moses is, um, t he wrote the book of Deuteronomy, and he's telling the story of the, the Israelites had been in the promised land, had, I'm sorry, had been in the wilderness, and he was ready to send them to the promised land. But before they went, they were going to check it out. They were going to, you know, do it the cautious way. We often do that, guys. We want to, you know, check everything out and then make our decision, right? Well, that's what they did. So they sent 12 spies, one from each of the tribes of Israel. And um, all 12 went and they saw the promised land. And it was good. It was very good. But 10 of the 12 spies saw the Amorites, which were, in comparison to them, they were like giants. And they saw the fortified cities. And they came back and told Moses, oh, it's, it's too big. They're like giants. We're like grasshoppers. Their cities are so fortified. There's no way we can go in there and win. They were afraid. And this is what Moses said. This is from the Bible. This is um, Deuteronomy 1, verse 29 through 31. Moses told those 10 spies, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the desert. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. So that's what Moses told those 10 spies. But then he went on even more. This is all the first chapter. He went on and he reminded them. He said, remember about the Red Sea when it split? And then everybody else, the, the, the Egyptians that were chasing you were all covered with water and drowned? Remember the manna that you've been eating every day? Remember the water and the rock when, you, when there was no water and you thought you were going to die? And God gave you water out of a rock? And he reminded them of all the things he'd done already. Well, there were two other spies, Joshua and Caleb. You all know the story, but I'm telling it anyway because it's a good one. Joshua and Caleb went with those other 10 spies and they saw the same thing. They saw the promised land. They saw how good it was. And they saw the Amorites that were much bigger and they saw the fortified cities. But when they came back, they didn't focus on the problem. They focused on the promised land. And we know that those two men are the only two out of that whole generation that reached the promised land. No one else in that generation got there. None of the others received the answer. And God spoke to me and he said, Cindy, you have a choice. You can look at the problem and focus on that and not receive the promise. Or you can look at the promise and you can remember all of the things I've already done for you. 
I had no cancer here. I had the, in the groin where there was positive biopsies. It was no longer cancer. The doctor said nothing to worry about, no treatment needed. And, and I needed to look back at all of that instead of focusing on the problem. So he gave me a choice. So I saw it as a very stern warning. And I also saw it as an amazing encouragement because God taught me what to do. So I took that very scripture that I already read to you and I made it a, a declaration for me. And I say it every day. And I'm just going to say it. It's on your paper. But I'm just going to say it the way that God gave, gave it to me. He said to me, he said, Cindy, don't be terrified. Don't be afraid of recurring cancer. For I will continue to fight for you, Cindy, just as I did when I first healed your body of cancer before your very eyes. You saw how I carried you, the way a father carries his child. And I will continue to go ahead of you on your blessed journey. That's the word he gave me. Yeah. And I say it every day. And then the other part is to reflect on what he's already done for you. And we can all do better at that because God, whether it's tiny or whether it's magnificent and huge, he has done so much in all of our lives. And that's what he says to put our eyes on. And if he hasn't done anything for you or you can't think of anything, look at what he's done for other people. Look at what he's done in the word. Look at all of the testimonies in the word, the promises in the word. There's so many times that God shows us good news, but that's where we need to put our heart and our mind. Okay, so the next um, piece on your paper that I do want to address is this whole thing of being self-centered. We need to be God-conscious instead of self-centered. And that's what I was doing when I was focused on the neck thing. I was completely focused on the symptom into such an extent that everything else was small in comparison. That's self-centeredness. Self-centeredness can devastate us as believers. When we're self-centered, we're consumed with ourselves, And we're obsessed with either our problems or our performance. It doesn't have to be just our problems. We can be obsessed with what we're doing. Remember, doing isn't knowing. So we need to be careful. Self-centeredness is pride. Now, when we think of pride, we usually think of pride being puffed up, like we're better. Like, well, I pray the word more than she prays the word. Uh, first of all, that's a bunch of baloney. It's about, it's about meditating and, 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 and letting the word build you up. It's not about how many times you do it. But pr that's not just, it's, pride isn't just puffing yourself up and saying, I'm a doer. That's not all pride is. Pride can also be the opposite. Pride can be saying, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I'm, I'm um, just, you know, I'm, I'm a loser. Uh, I'm not, not whatever. Because when you're doing that, you're also focusing on yourself. You're not focusing on God. Pride is both. Pride is puffing yourself up and pride is putting yourself down. It's still a subtle form of self-centeredness. So we need to rethink this. So how do I not be self-centered? How do I not put my focus on myself when it's so big in my face? Well, 
It means self, dying to self or not being self-centered means to get our attention so much on someone else that we forget about ourselves. And the best example I have of this is a new love relationship. Now, I have to remember a long time ago to remember when I first fell in love with my husband because that was way, 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 way a long time ago. But remember that day. Remember those days when all you thought of was that other person. Yeah. You didn't think of yourself because your whole focus was on that other person. The same thing, friends. We're talking about knowing God. The same thing is true. These girls are getting giddy back here thinking about it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. It means, this dying to self means to get our, our heart, just like that, so focused on God that we literally lose consciousness of ourselves. Now think about this for a minute. When God created Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, they were with him in the Garden of Eden. And we've, we, there's not a whole lot in the first two books of Genesis about their, their time together, but it says that they walked and talked in the cool of the day. And they just hung out with God. Can you imagine how amazing that would be? I mean, we've heard amazing stories of people who have had um, heavenly um, encounters and they experience the love of God like we've not experienced it yet. But then after the fall of man and after sin, they became conscious of sin and they became conscious of themselves and they realized they were naked. They were naked before too, but they didn't even know it because they were so focused on God. They were so God conscious that they weren't self-centered. They weren't focused on themselves. And that is a beautiful example. When we can be so God focused that we're not focused on ourselves anymore. And when I look back to my journey as I was going through my healing journey, I was so in love with God for the first time in my life. It was like that love affair that was brand new. And that's all I could think of. That's all I could talk about. That's all I could focus on. And this whole cancer thing didn't even matter. Knowing God leads to faith. Yeah. So here are two completely different um, parallels, or that's not the right word, two different sides, and we want to be on only one of them. One side, no, I'm sorry, we want to be on both sides of these. It means, sorry, I'm, I'm not thinking clearly. This dying to self means that we are purged of sin consciousness. We don't even think about being not good enough because our eyes are so on God and knowing what he did for us and knowing that he's cleansed us, knowing that he's purified us, knowing that the sacrifice has been paid in full, that we're not sin conscious. No condemnation, no guilt, no I'm not good enough, no I'm not doing enough, none of that stuff. When we're God conscious, it's not about looking if you're good enough or if your performance is good enough. None of that's even a part of your your mindset. Now, this is, this, is, um, this is what we're aiming for. I'm sure none of us are here 100%, but this is, our, this is my dream for you, for me, to be in such a position that I don't even care about me at all. It's all about him. And the other part of that is knowing all of the pieces of redemption, 
knowing that you're healed, that you're saved, that you're forgiven, that you have eternal life now and forever, that you have peace and strength and, and wisdom and everything that you need because it's all part of redemption. So no condemnation and knowing the fullness of redemption. That's dying to self. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, go beyond the Hebrews, um, what, uh, let's see, the Hebrews 10 scripture. I'm not going to go over that, and I'm going to go right to Hebrews chapter 4. When we are in that place, because we know Jesus, and we know what he did for us, and like Kathy put that beautiful picture, we, we know the character of Jesus, we know the love of God, we're growing in knowing we can become so God-conscious, so loved, so forgiven, and so cleansed that we are able to approach God without any awareness of sin, knowing that we're worthy of everything he paid for and that he wants us to have everything that he paid for. Hebrews 4.16 says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. We can come to that throne of grace at any moment of any time of any day. And it says that he's there for whatever we need. He's there to give us help. He's there to give us mercy and grace. Mercy means we don't get what we deserve because Jesus got what we deserved. He got the punishment, the judgment. And it means that we get what we don't deserve. We get all of the facets of redemption. So here are some quick applications. And then we've got an amazing testimony. This is all the stuff I already talked about. Keep your eyes on Jesus and the finished work of the cross. Get your mind so much on Jesus and on his finished work that you completely forget about your own situation. Next, feed your heart on what God has done or is doing without stumbling over what it appears he's not doing. And notice it says what it appears because you don't know what's going on. Next, pay attention. Pay attention to what God's doing in your life. Write down every little thing that the Lord has done or is doing for you on your journey. Write it down. I encourage you to write it down. It doesn't have, you don't have to be a writer. Just jot down notes and then look back over those notes. Look back over those things and rehearse them, review them, speak about them. Thank God, praise him for them. The next thing on the list, share your testimonies of how God is working in your life with others, no matter how great or how small, and give God all the glory. The next one, God can't help but show up when, his, when declaration of his goodness is made. So choose to praise and worship him, not with the intention of getting him to do something, but because he's already done it. And finally, God is bigger than all roadblocks or obstacles. There's no problem that you'll ever have that is bigger than the answer. Believe that and declare that. It's not about how big your faith is. It's about how big your God is. Amen. Okay. And I'm going to practice what I preach right here. And we're going to have an awesome testimony to build us all up and to get us ready to, to um, pray together in faith and let God have his way. So Glenn.